0: Well, today I have the privilege of concluding our Room for Doubt series. I really enjoyed working through this over the, the past several weeks, just asking the tough questions that some of us deal with in our faith. And and it stretched me as a communicator. I hope it, I hope it's something that you've enjoyed. Maybe if you haven't struggled with these questions, maybe now you feel more equipped to answer these questions when they come up as you interact with those around you. And today we've got one more question, and uh, I've been looking forward to this sermon, the entire series, most of the year really, and here's the question that we're going to be examining today. Isn't it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way Right? Isn't it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? If that's what you want to believe, that's great, but let me believe what I believe over here. Don't go getting into that. It's got to be Jesus or nothing else. That's just intolerant. What do you say when that question comes up? What do you say if somebody says, you're intolerant. You're just not respecting what I believe. That's what we're going to be after today. But before we do that, wasn't it nice to have Phil the Master here last week? I thought it was terrible. You know why? Because Phil has the nerve to come into this church, home court, and tell all these great jokes and now I can't use any of them. It's ridiculous. I told him specifically, don't be funny. Well, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, you know, I had to laugh. After, after church, we headed into town and we had lunch with, uh, with some good friends of ours. And uh, we were driving around the square and I saw this bumper sticker. And I, I just had to laugh. I said, man, I just don't think the people who have this bumper sticker are really going to like Phil's sermon very much. Phil's sermon was a little bit Jesus-focused, right? Heavy on the T, not so much on the coexist, right? He was a little Jesus-focused last week. In fact, if you listen to him at all, it was hard to miss the name of Jesus and his sermon. And I thought, man, those people just wouldn't like Phil's sermon very much. But then I got to thinking, what do they mean by coexist? What do they mean by coexist? Do they mean cooperate? Do they mean cooperate? Or do they mean compromise? Because if they mean cooperate, if they mean we got to learn to get along better with the C and the O and the E and the X and the I and the S, if they mean cooperate, all right, I'm on board with that, right? I'm on board. We need to learn to be tolerant of each other's differing beliefs. Who wouldn't like to see Muslims and Christians and Jews learn to coexist better in the Middle East? Who wouldn't like to wake up and hear that there was nobody murdered in the Gaza Strip yesterday? And no suicide bombs went off yesterday? Who wouldn't like to hear that news? I'd like to hear that news. My response changes a little bit, though. If the word coexist, if what you mean when you say coexist means that I have to compromise my beliefs or my mission as a Christian, if you're saying, "Well, you don't tell anybody about Jesus because I believe something different," then I'm going, "No, no, I've got to, I've got to draw a line there. I've got to draw a line in the sand." And it's tricky because this word tolerance is mean. It means different things. To different people. Here's a traditional meaning of the word tolerance. It's this. It says that we should agree to disagree with other people. We should agree to disagree with others. To respect their right to believe what they choose to believe. And to practice their religion without the threat of a crusade or a jihad. While we do the same. And if that's what somebody means by tolerance, then my attitude is sign me up. I'm not going to go on a crusade against my Muslim brothers. I'm going to be tolerant of those beliefs. And I expect that they don't go on a jihad against me. But today there's a new definition, there's a new version of tolerance that's being promoted. One that says, everyone is equally right. That it's fundamentally wrong to disagree with or challenge anybody else's thinking. And, and that you certainly, you certainly can't ever, don't you dare do this, don't ever try to convert somebody else to your point of view. Don't do that. That's coexisting in the sense of Compromise. Here's the irony. Some of the people who talk the loudest about being tolerant turn out to be the most intolerant if we don't line up with everything that they think we should believe. And we have to do our best to coexist peacefully with people who believe differently than we do. But we must reject this new understanding of tolerance. And here's why not everybody can be right. Not everybody can be right. When two ideas contradict, are both of them right? No, somebody has to be wrong. Now I grant it's possible that both of them are wrong, but if two ideas contradict, somebody's got to be wrong. The problem with this new view of tolerance is that it goes against the very idea of truth. It goes against the idea of truth altogether. It rejects the concept and says you have personal truth. And there's not an absolute truth. But I hope, I hope, my prayer for all of us is that truth is what we're after today. That truth is what all of us want. But what is truth? What is truth, right? Truth is what's real. Truth is what's right. Truth corresponds to what actually exists truth corresponds to what is and listen to this this is important ready make sure you get this down you have notes that you can take in your insert make sure you write this down because this is an important life rule you ready truth doesn't change with our beliefs our beliefs should change in light of truth see what we did there who we did. Truth doesn't change with our beliefs. We don't say this is my truth because this is what I believe. We should say this is what I believe because this is truth. So truth is what we're after. Truth is what we're seeking. The answer isn't to pretend that everybody's right. We can't pretend that everybody's right. There's so many differing opinions. There has to be somebody who's wrong. The answer isn't to pretend that everybody's right. The answer is to love, to seek, and to embrace real truth. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting, and in the eyes of a lot of people, controversial. Jesus claimed to be what? Truth. John chapter 14 in the sixth verse, you may have heard this before. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now this claim, it eats people up like nobody's business. It's been called arrogant. It's been called narrow-minded. It's been called bigoted. And some of you here today may be bothered by this passage of Scripture. For you, it might be a major stumbling block in your faith. For others, this claim might be a cause for you to doubt your faith in some way. Well, that's why we're talking about it. Because there's room for doubt. I believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he made this claim, and I believe he said it out of great compassion, not arrogance, and I believe that when we look closer at this statement, it makes sense. In fact, I'm convinced that this claim by Jesus expresses one of the most important truths ever uttered on this planet. So why is this claim so controversial? Why does it eat people up the way it does when we hear I am the way, the truth, and the life? Why does it bother people so much? It bothers people so much because it it goes for the jugular of three major myths about religion. And I want to talk about these myths that exist in religion and why Jesus goes for the throat on all three of those. So here's the first myth. Right? The first myth says this, when you get down to it, all religions are basically the same. You ever heard somebody say that before? When you get down to it, all religions are, are basically the same. Now, you've probably heard people say there are surface level differences Surface level differences among all the various world religions, but if you strip them down to their essentials, all religions teach the same thing, so it doesn't really matter which one you follow. In other words, all spiritual paths lead to the same place, all streams lead to the same ocean, all paths lead to the top of the same mountain. I disagree. There are some points of agreement. There are some things that the world religions have in common. For example, Islam and Christianity agree on this idea of monotheism. They say that there's one God. It's not the same God, but they say that there is one God. There's only one God that exists. Most all religions contend that the physical world is not the only reality that there is. There is a spiritual realm out there. Uh, But there are major differences too. For example, when Jesus asserts that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the only path to God, Jesus boldly puts Christianity in a class by itself. It is distinct. If the path to God is through Jesus alone, then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. And the uniqueness of Christianity, the reason why all of us are sitting here today, the reason why you didn't sleep in on Sunday morning and take mom to Mother's Day brunch, the reason why all of us are here today is because of Jesus Christ. This religion called Christianity is based on the uniqueness of Christ. I heard one theologian describe it this way. World religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth but Jesus says, I am the truth. Religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you the way to salvation, but Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you how to become enlightened, but Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you the door that leads to God, but Jesus says, I am the door. And then Jesus adds... So follow me. You see the difference there? For a long time, people have tried to harmonize the various religions of the world, but they are different, dramatically different, irreconcilably different. See, all the other major religions of the world are based on this really simple principle: doing something. You've got to do something. You've got to do something to earn favor with God. They say people have to go on pilgrimages or give alms to the poor or avoid eating certain foods or pray in specific ways or directions or they've got to go through a series of reincarnations. Or they've got to honor God in some way or another. They're attempts by humans to reach out to God. All of these different things, all these different things we've got to do to avoid eating certain foods, pray in certain directions, experience a number of reincarnations, they're attempts by humans to reach out to God. I don't know how high you can reach, but I can't reach that high. Jesus is different. Jesus isn't an attempt for us to reach out to God. Jesus is God reaching out to us, and his reach is stronger than mine. Jesus taught the opposite of what other religions teach. He said that nobody can do anything to earn their salvation, so we might as well give up trying. He said that we're all guilty of doing wrong, that nobody can claim to be perfect. And Jesus said that our wrongdoing separates us from our holy and perfect God. Our sinfulness, our wrongdoing has produced a debt that we can't pay. But because God is righteous and merciful, He paid our debt for us. Jesus voluntarily offered Himself as our substitute to pay the penalty that we owe for sin. We're not trying to reach out to God. We're not trying to build a tower to God where we stand on our tippy toes and get back to Him. We're saying, Jesus, I accept that You're reaching out to me. And I can reach that far when we receive His sacrifice on our behalf, we become reunited with God. Not just for a season, but for eternity. Colossians 2 says it this way, when you were were dead in your sins, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of us of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal debt, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus isn't like all of these other world religions where you've got to do something to earn your salvation. So when we say all religions are basically the same, you know what my answer to that is? No, they're not. Jesus is different. And we can clearly see the difference as we look at two very similar versions of the parable of the prodigal son. One is the, the Christian prodigal son parable that Jesus told. There's another one that's very similar. It's in the Buddhist tradition. I want to read uh, a synopsis of both of them to you. Both stories, they involve a son and uh, he became rebellious, and he left home, but he later saw the error of his ways and and decided to come back and, and be reconciled with his family. Both stories are on the same page, basically similar up to that point. The Buddhist story starts to deviate at this point. The wayward son is required to work. He's required to work to pay off his penalty for his past misdeeds. And he ends up spending years in servitude, 25 years of servitude in his father's house. And his job was to cart dung. And that's how he made up for his past misdeeds. The Christian version of that story is a little bit different, isn't it? His son is in a far off land and he's sitting among... And he says, what am I doing? Even the servants in my father's house have it better than this. And so he goes back to his father. And the father doesn't say, I'm glad you're back. In 25 years after you're done shoveling dung, you can come back into my house. No. The way it works with Jesus is that while the man was a long way off, the father ran to him. He ran to him and he embraced him. And he welcomed him back into his home and he threw a party and he said, my son was dead and now he's alive. Welcome him. Christianity is not like any other world religion. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to earn our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. All we have to do is believe that Jesus is enough you tell me that Christianity is the same as all these other world religions, I'm going to tell you, I believe you're wrong. are other fundamental differences between Christianity and other world religions? For instance, Christianity says there's, there's one eternal God who created the universe. Hinduism says that everything's God. Islam denies that Jesus was God or that he died for our sins, and the Buddha probably didn't believe in any God at all. Here's what I'm driving at. These, these beliefs cannot all be true because their fundamental claims contradict each other. Somebody's got to be wrong. Somebody's got to be right. All religions aren't the same. And while other religious leaders might offer some wise sayings or helpful insights, I'm down with that. Okay? If there's a wise saying or a helpful insight, write it down remember it. Okay? I, I like Gandhi's quote, be the change you want to see in the world. I think that's great, but it doesn't change my eternal destiny. No other religious leader even predicted whether well, a religious leader had the ability to claim what Jesus was claiming. Now, I want you to think about this. It would be illogical. It would be illogical to think that God would go over to one side of the planet and tell people, this is what you've got to do to be saved. Right? Uh, Western culture, Christianity. Right? Eastern culture, well, I think it's Hinduism over here. He's not going to go to different parts of the world and give different ways for being reconciled to him. It would make sense that God would provide a path for all of us to follow, to find Him. And it would make sense that He would tell us about this path in an extraordinary way. I believe the extraordinary way that He told to tell us about that path was Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It does matter. It does matter which path you choose to follow in your spiritual journey. Jesus' own words dispel, dispel that myth that all religions are the same. Here's the second one. The second one's related to the first. This one says that even though Christianity might be different from these other religions, it's still just one philosophy among many, and and it's no more valid than any other system of belief. It's similar to the first one, but it's got some, some intricate differences. In other words, even if there are differences among religions, even if there are differences among these religions, you've pointed those out, they all have equal claim to truth. You know, it's the idea that you have your truth, it works for you, and I have my truth, it works for me. It has a certain amount of appeal to it, especially in our culture. It, it would seem to reflect the pluralistic attitudes, the, the multicultural diversity of our country. But as I've said already, we should want to be tolerant of others' views. The Bible tells us that we should be loving and respectful towards all people regardless of their beliefs. 2 Timothy 2, Paul says it this way, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Everybody say gently instructed. Very good. But here's the thing. Under the U.S. Constitution, all of our religious viewpoints are equally protected. Equally protected under the U.S. Constitution. People can believe whatever they want to believe. But some people, some people jump to an erroneous conclusion. They say that because different viewpoints are equally protected under the law, they must be equally true. Right? All religious viewpoints are equally protected under the law. Therefore, they must be equally true. Did you know there is a church that exists in the United States of America called the Church of the Flying Spaghetti? Did you know that? And their chief deity is, I'm not making this up. Maybe they are, but I'm not making this up. I'm telling you the truth this morning. Their deity that they worship is a giant meatball. The Church of the Flying Spaghetti, that has the same legal protection in the Constitution of the United States that this church does here. Does it make it any more true? No. I'm going to go out on a limb here today, and if I offend you, I don't apologize for this. That's ridiculous. Okay? Just because something is equally protected under our Constitution does not make it equally true. The concept behind what the Supreme Court called uh, uh, this protection of religious freedoms is called a marketplace of ideas. I want to explain to you what that means. It's a marketplace of ideas. Uh, It's that truth and falsehood will grapple. That truth and falsehood will gut it out. And that in this marketplace, in this, uh, in this place where all ideas are equal, people will go after what is true. So uh, I guess it's kind of similar to a, a free market economy, right? You have the option to buy uh, whatever you want when you go to the store, but the things that people want the most are the things that rise to the top. And in this economy, this marketplace of ideas, the things that are true will rise to the top. And that's been true in every generation since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody's free to make the claim as Jesus did and that they are the way, the truth, and the life. The Church of the Flying Spaghetti can make that claim. Buddha can make that claim. Hinduism can make that claim. Vishnu can make that slay- claim. But nobody can back it up like Jesus did. Everybody can make the claim that no one can come to God except through me. But here's the difference. Only Jesus can back that claim up. Here's how he did it. He authenticated his claims by being by by fulfilling dozens of prophecies. We talked about that earlier in the series. These prophecies are are a thumbprint that match only Jesus the Messiah. In all of history, Jesus is the only one who meets these criteria. And unlike other religious leaders, Jesus, Jesus performed great miracles that further authenticated his claim to being God. Remember, we talked about that a couple of months ago that Jesus' miracles were always about more than the action. It was about reminding us that he was deity. And in the most spectacular demonstration of his deity, Jesus fulfilled his own prediction by rising from the dead. It's a historical event that was witnessed by more than 500 people, and a historical event that sparked an unparalleled revolution that explains why you're sitting here today. Christianity isn't a philosophy. It's a reality. It's not a philosophy. It's a reality. Jesus didn't claim that he was one way to God. Jesus didn't just claim that he was the only way to God. He validated that he was the only way to God. So we've seen the first myth that all religions are basically the same And they're not. We've seen the second myth that Christianity is just one philosophy among many, and it's not. Here's the third one Christians are narrow minded, Christians are snobbish because they say that Jesus is the only way to eternal salvation. Now, Christians might. Christians might be acting in a narrow-minded way if there, if there really are lots of paths. If there really are lots of paths that lead to God and reconciliation, then Christians might be narrow-minded. But that's not the case. Rather, we're just reflecting the truth that God has revealed in the Bible. That someone has to pay the price for our wrongdoing. Either we do it ourselves... Or we have a substitute do it for us. We can't do it. But Jesus, by virtue of his divinity and his sinless life, is qualified to pay the penalty for our sinfulness. That's a remarkable claim. That Jesus is paying the price that we can't pay. So it's not narrow-minded to act upon evidence. It's not narrow-minded to act upon evidence and to profess truth. I want to I uh, illustrate it this way. Uh, let's say hypothetically a couple has recently had a baby. And uh, we'll just, just for argument's sake, just so you can have a clear illustration in your mind, we'll call this couple Tony and Leah. Okay? And Tony and Leah, uh, they're, they're very happy. They love their baby. Um, in fact, it's, man, it's almost like you can hear the baby crying. They're very happy, but they they bring the baby home from the hospital and bless her little heart, that little baby develops some jaundice. Jaundice, and if you don't know, jaundice is a liver condition uh, uh, that that discolors uh, a baby's skin, and it can turn a little bit yellow, and the the whites of the eyes can turn a little bit yellow. Uh, And the pediatrician says, this is a potentially dangerous disease. It could be devastating to your baby's health, but don't worry, it's very easily treated. All you have to do is put the baby underneath or on top of these special lights for a few days. It's a it's a bright blue light. All you got to do is lay the baby on top of this bright blue light for a few days, and that's going to stimulate her liver, and she'll recover more quickly. Now, the parents could say, that sounds too easy. I don't think that's right. Instead, we're going to scrub her with soap and dip her in bleach. And if we work hard enough, I'm sure we can get her normal color back. The doctor would say, well, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. It's not going to work. This is the only way to handle this. And the parents could reply, well, how about if we just ignore our daughter's condition and pretend that everything's okay? You know, the jaundice is your truth, doc, but it, it's not my truth. And if we sincerely believe in our truth, well, then everything's just going to be okay. The doctor would say, you're going to jeopardize your baby if you do that. And maybe, maybe the parents say, ultimately, you know what, Doc? I'm sick and tired of you putting your beliefs on me, and you're saying that there's only one way for me to treat my kid. I think there's more than one way for me to treat my kid. I'm not going to put her under these lights. We're just going to handle it ourselves. We're done with you. You are hypocritical, you are bigoted, and you just don't listen to what I'm trying to say, Doc. See what I'm doing here? the doctor would say, you can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you the truth. This is what you need to do. It's not narrow-minded for the doctor to say, this is what you need to do, because he's acting rationally in accordance with the evidence. The fact is, we all have an illness. We all have a terminal illness and it's called sin. And that's the reason why we cling to Christ. Because He is our great physician and He is the only one who can heal us. We can, we can try and scrub away our wrongs with good deeds, but it won't work. We can ignore them and hope they go away, but it won't work. We can be totally sincere in thinking that there's another way of dealing with it, but we would be sincerely wrong. The truth is that only the great physician offers the treatment that will heal us. When we turn to him, we're not being narrow-minded. We're acting rationally in accordance with the evidence. And when we advise others to turn to him, we're not being narrow-minded. We're acting rationally in accordance with the evidence. It's not snobbish that Christians believe there's only one way to God. It's not snobbish to believe that because if we look at Christianity, if we just take an honest look at Christianity, Christianity is anything but snobbish. Let me give you another analogy. Let's pretend there are two country clubs. Country club A over here and country club B over here. The first one only admits people who have earned their membership to get into this country club You have to have superior wisdom or superior wealth or fulfill a list of demands and perform certain requirements. And despite their best efforts, most people, they just don't make the grade. They'll be exhausted and excluded and dejected. But the second country club says, yeah, anybody who wants to come in, you guys can come in because your membership's already been paid for. Enjoy your round of golf. Now I'm preaching to Tim. <laughs> Which one sounds more snobbish? All right? You have to have your tie perfectly. I'm not even wearing a tie. I better not go there. I know it's okay. You know, you, your tie has to be exactly this long. I mean, get out my tape measure. And your jacket, it's got a little piece of lint. Why don't you go home and come back some other time, you slob? You don't belong in our country club. Or, I like your shorts. Let's play around to golf. Which one seems more snobbish to you? So it's ironic to me that Christianity gets called snobbish. Christianity is for everybody. Christianity is for everybody. For anybody who will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Christianity is unique. It can't be reconciled with other religions, and it backs up its truth claims with the credentials and the credibility of Jesus. That's why when Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, history hasn't laughed. Instead, history has been revolutionized. Instead of laughing, you're here today. Some of you here today need to respond to the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Some of you need to respond by committing to a sincere examination of the evidence. And one day down the road, you can say with conviction that I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Some of you believe today, and you need to come forward and confess it in front of other people. But if you're already one who believes Jesus' claims, then it's, it's time that you finally act on those claims. Author uh, Mark Middleberg has a helpful illustration when he talks about acting on belief in Jesus. He says, I, I can sit in an airport for the rest of my life believing in the truth of aviation. But if I want to go to Colorado, I've got to get on the plane. I want to suggest that maybe today you need to get on the plane. You can sit in church for the rest of your life, believing in Jesus and nodding your head to the truth of the gospel message, but if you want to get home spiritually, you've got to get on board. And it starts by admitting that you believe and then making a commitment to God over and above sin. And it continues by being baptized for the forgiveness of those sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And you can know today that you're forgiven of your sins, that you're adopted as a child of God and that you can spend eternity with him. When you do this, and as you continue to grow in your relationship with God, you'll discover what I've learned and continue to learn, that Jesus is the way. That he's the path to a lifetime of fulfillment, challenge, and purpose. That Jesus is the truth. That he provides wisdom that works for every day. And that Jesus is the life. That he and he alone can give confidence for your future here on earth and for your eternity. Is it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? It's only intolerant if it's not true. I believe beyond any doubt that it's true. So as we conclude this series, Room for Doubt, if you've still got questions, I want to invite you to find me. And we'll talk through them. All right, find me today. We'll set up a time to meet. Or maybe you've heard something these last few weeks that's changed your thinking. I want to invite you to commit your life to Christ today. So we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And if you need to make a commitment to Christ today, why don't you come forward during this song, and we'll baptize you today.